Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, our get-together every Monday evening to talk about the givings and misgivings of the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. I'm Dave Mitchell, glad to have you along tonight, and alongside, as always, our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? I'm fine. The Reds are living up to all of my expectations and predictions, so I really feel good about everything, Dave. I'm sure that you're about ready to jump off that uh, Kentucky-Cincinnati bridge. <laughs> well, I think as we will discover later on, uh, you know, it's you, you can't be surprised by what's happening, and, and candidly, you can't be surprised what's happening with either the Reds or the Indians at this point. I mean, I think we we saw the the weaknesses in these respective clubs as late as the end of the 2013 season, and neither team did anything to correct those weaknesses. So uh, it, it basically is living up to expectations. Well, there are several things I want to bring up tonight. Let's let's go over what has happened with both clubs throughout the week. First of all, the Indians, they're 6-7 and seven overall. After 13 games marked, they're in fourth place in the AL Central Division, but only a game and a half behind Detroit. And they go to Detroit for the next three nights. They're off tonight, but they play in Detroit Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday afternoon. They finished up 3-4 and four on the week, and unbelievably so, they lost three out of four to the White Sox in Chicago. I say unbelievably so because, Mark, just a year ago, the Indians swept four four-game series against the White Sox. So I guess one year does make a difference. You know, it does. And when you have those kinds of aberrations in a season, I mean, that, that I can't imagine that's happened recently. It's never happened in my memory, let's put it that way, that a team wins four four-game series against another. But take away those those series wins, and let's assume for a moment that the Indians split those games, which is more than likely going to happen this year or or worse. What would that have done to the Indians' standings and their, and their wins last year? It probably would have kept them out of the playoffs if they had not won those four or four-game series against the White Sox. Now, I know you can't go back and, and, and rehash all that, but statistically... When you have an anomaly like that, where one team, say, wins 13 out of 14 against a team, or 12 out of 14, or 16 out of 17, whatever it is, that is likely to end up being the difference between winning a division or not. And this year, I think if you're anticipating that, as an Indians fan, it's it's just not going to happen. So where do you get those wins that you had against the White Sox, who are you going to get them against this year? Well, it was a good thing that they dominated the White Sox last year because the way things turned out, Detroit dominated the Indians, and the Indians still only finished a game behind Detroit in the Central Division standings a year ago. Nonetheless, okay, Cincinnati, they're 4-8 and eight on the season. Now, after 12 games this year, they are in last place in the National League Central, Mark, six games behind Milwaukee, who's playing like a house of fire, and the Reds were two and four on the week. Now, one of the big things that we talked about before the season ever began was the schedule that the Reds had to play 
in the month of April, and we both thought if they didn't get off to a good start, they could be 10 games behind going into the month of May, and they're very close to being right there. You're absolutely right, and what could happen in the next two weeks? You said they were 2-4 and four last week. Well, they were 2-4 and four the first week as well, which brings you to 4-8. and eight. They've lost every series, two games to one, uh, to every team they've played. And, yes, they have fa- faced some good pitching, but Milwaukee uh, faces St. Louis this weekend, or uh, t- starting tonight, I think a three-game series. If Milwaukee were to sweep St. Louis, they would be six games behind, the Cardinals would. And if the Reds were to lose two out of three to the Pirates, which is not improbable, the Reds would be eight games back going into uh, the last week, or actually not even the the last two weeks of May. You're right. The Reds could be 10 to 11 games out of first place. And at this point, the way they're playing, you almost have to predict that. They're going to be so far out of first place by the end of May, potentially, that the season is effectively over for that team. And what is I makes all Reds fans irate is everybody that I know who's a casual fan to the blogosphere, to the working press, to the guys on ESPN, the guys on MLB Tonight, everybody predicted this. Everybody. Now, if all of us predicted this, including you, David, how can the Reds management, or specifically Walt Jockety, not see this? How in the world could he not see this when everybody else does? That's what's frustrating to Reds fans and and makes you kind of throw your hands up in despair as who's who's running the show? Well... It's obviously Walt Jockety. The problem is he's not running anything right now except for a retirement home because nothing is being done. Let's get a couple of house cleaning items, and then I want to move into the Cincinnati Reds and what Mark thinks their big problems are so far this week. You can send us your thoughts and comments to via the social media to dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. You can email us there or ask us at ultimatesportstalk.com. Or you can send us a tweet to at OHBBCoHost. And we've also got another Twitter address, which is at Alt Sports Talk, ULT Sports Talk. Mark, last week, and I've got to bring this up. Uh, most people are going to want to hear this, I know. A very astute individual on this program whom shall remain nameless, but you'll know who it is as soon as I play the clip, brought up the fact that the Reds should probably make a lineup change. Let's listen to what that astute individual had to say last week. I haven't heard anybody bring up. I know know it's been talked about moving Joey Votto to second in the batting order behind Billy Hamilton, but I think they ought to put Phillips third to protect Votto. You need somebody behind Hamilton if he gets on base that is going to take a lot of pitches and is comfortable doing it. I don't think Brandon Phillips has ever been comfortable in the number two position in the batting order, and I've always thought he would have been a better number three hitter. Mark, that individual had to be the most astute prognosticator so far this season. Well, you know, that voice does not 
does not sound familiar to me. It's amazing. <laughs> I wonder who that person was. Now, David, you hit it on the head, and that's precisely what the Reds did yesterday. And I heard today that they're making another lineup change, and this I don't understand. They're moving Todd Frazier to hit number four. Now, Joey Votto had a very interesting comment about your suggestion of hitting second. He said, it's the first time I've had anybody protect me in the lineup. Now, you normally think that when you're talking about protection for a hitter, it's the person hitting behind Joey Votto. But he had a very, Votto had a very good point. He said, with Hamilton on first base, I see more fastballs. And right on cue yesterday, he he hit a laser shot to center field, probably 450 feet over the center field fence, uh, and he got a fastball he wouldn't normally get. So his number one, his comment was kind of telling that he didn't he's, he's never had anybody hit behind him. But number two, he turned it around and said, "I will get more fastballs if Billy Hamilton gets on base." than I normally would, which is, in his eyes, if you if you throw Joey Votto a whole lot of fastballs, he's going to hit a whole lot of home runs. So well, he, and, he wants protection, too. And you've got to do that, Mark. That was one of the things that you and I talked about that morning before we ever went on the air, when I brought this idea up to you about moving Votto to second and Phillips to third. Votto was constantly being ridiculed for taking too many pitches. And that's his ball game. And that's what Billy Hamilton needs if he gets on first base. He needs somebody behind him that is content with taking a lot of pitches. That, in turn, with what you just said, more fastballs to Joey Votto, and that turns Votto into a more dangerous hitter. No matter where Votto hits, though, whether it's second, third, or fourth, for that matter, the Reds just don't have anybody in that lineup that is that is scary uh, when, when you have Ryan Ludwig as your number four hitter or whatever he hits, his bat speed has slowed down so much. It's sad to see he, he's had a very, you know, I, I'd say above average career. But, gosh, he, he just cannot be the guy you turn to to drive in runs. And what scares me is this idea of moving um, Frazier to hit number four, his swing is as unmajor league as I've seen for a guy who's been in the league, big, big leagues for three years. He just he's fooled terribly on breaking balls. I don't know what he is, what, what kind of fear he is going to put into anybody hitting fourth, which means then you have to hit Jay Bruce number five, and then you have to hit Ludwig number six, or unless you put Mezzarocco at six because he's hitting well, that means Ludwig hits seventh, and then you have Zach Kozar hitting eighth. So that lineup has so many holes in it. Uh, when you have, you know, Jay Bruce hitting 179, you have Billy Hamilton hitting 154, uh, you have Kozart hitting 114, uh, Frazier 227, he's your cleanup hitter? Uh, it, it, there's just nobody there aside from Votto and Phillips, that is going to scare anybody. Yeah, I thought this was the case. Frazier batted cleanup yesterday, too. Yeah. Um, they went with Hamilton, Votto, Phillips, Frazier, Bruce, Ludwig, Mesoraco, Cozart, and Singrani. 
And quite honestly, Mark, and I wanted to bring this up tonight, I think Mesoraco brings a different dimension to this lineup. If you remember last year when we talked with Johnny Bench on the show, uh, one of the things he said about Devin Mesoraco is he thinks that kid is a middle-of-the-lineup hitter. Well, ever since he's come back off the DL, he seems to be crushing the baseball, Mark. I mean, right now he's hitting 500 in the three games that he's been back in, and he hit a home run yesterday. If this kid can prove to be the type of hitter that everybody thinks he is going to be, you could move him into that fourth, fifth, or sixth spot in the lineup, and suddenly that one other person that you're looking at to contribute out of the Reds lineup, you've got, and it does make it a little bit better. It does, and this sounds like a broken record uh, because I think right now, un- unfortunately, Billy Hamilton is completely overmatched. He cannot he cannot pull a fastball at all, uh, either left or right. I, I take that back. He, he can pull one right-handed. He can't pull a fastball left-handed. He, he's so overmatched. I wish he'd go back to just hitting right-handed because he, he's he's got years to go before he's a capable left-handed hitter. And, of course, he's going to face – he'll be hitting left-handed more frequently because there's more right-handed pitching. But if he doesn't work out, and the Reds cannot have your leadoff center fielder hitting 150 for more than a month. You can't. You have to have more production. That means the Reds have to turn to Chris Heisey again. Now, Heisey would crush the ball in spring training. He's hitting 333 now. He hit a grand slam yesterday. And I'm not saying that – you know, one game or two games of the first 11 games he's played is an indication of what he can do, yet you're going to have to turn to somebody on that team to replace Billy Hamilton if he's sent down or, or if he's just taken out of the starting lineup. And, you know, if you add Heisey to the lineup and Mesoraco is as productive as we think he can be, that does change things. But it also changes the entire structure or the plan for the structure of this team, which was going to be built around Billy Hamilton. What are your thoughts on this lineup switch, Mark? What, do you think it's going to something that's here to stay, or is it just a fad right now? If you're talking about Frazier, I think it's here to stay for a while anyway. Uh, I think they're going to break up uh, Bruce and Votto, which I'm okay with. Um, and they'll be separated by actually two hitters now. They'll be separated by Phillips and the number four hitter if it's Frazier, which is okay. But again, it's not so much where you put these guys, but if Frazier is going to have the year he had, you know, last year again, and he's on the way, he's hitting 227, although it's a small sample, I know. Uh, but he, he he's not pulling anything. Uh, he has two home runs. I think he's got, what, four or five RBIs. So he he's not producing consistently, and... I think they said yesterday already six times this year, and it certainly happened yesterday, the Reds have had the bases loaded with nobody out and haven't scored. Now, that means you have nobody making contact that can drive the ball out of the infield. That, that's a, that's ridiculous for a major league team to, to have that kind of statistic. Mark, there's a reason I asked this question, but I think it's got to be asked. Is there discord on the Reds' coaching staff? Between managers and coaches? Not that I have heard. These guys have worked together before. They, they have histories, even though some of the guys are new to the staff. Uh, they've worked with Price before. They've worked with the Reds before. Uh, I don't think that's the issue. 
Um, I, I think right now, if you're a manager, and I don't blame Brian Price. In fact, I, I applaud him for finally making some changes in the lineup before it's too late to try and, and try and stem the tide. But you know, when you have so many guys hitting so poorly, you cannot win a major league game. You know, Jay Bruce, uh, he's walked 11 times, struck out 12 times in 12 games. That means he's going to strike out 162 times this year. <coughs> He, he's that kind of hitter. He, he'll get hot for two or three weeks, and he'll hit 500 and hit seven home runs and drive in 20 runs, and then he'll go 0 for 18. And that's what this team is made up of, a bunch of guys who don't make contact. And you have Jay Bruce has struck out 12 times, Ludwig 11, Votto 10, and Phillips 11. Those are your top four hitters, and each one of them is on a pace to strike out more than 150 times a piece this year. That that will you cannot you cannot win in the big leagues with that kind of hitting. Well, this team absolutely needs some sort of a shakeup. I think the lineup is the first step. If this doesn't work, Mark, something else has got to be done. And the only reason I asked about the discord and the coaching staff is. I watched Steve Smith coach third base for the Cleveland Indians under Manny Acta for two years. He's overmatched at third base. You want to talk about Billy Hamilton overmatched as a hitter from the left side of the plate? Steve Smith is overmatched as a third base coach. There's a reason he's been a third base coach for about seven or eight different clubs. And that's because he can't coach third base. The I, I present to you exhibit number one being the fact of trying to score Joey Votto from second base on a base hit by uh, Todd Frazier Saturday afternoon in which he was thrown out at home by 20 feet in a one to nothing game in the fifth inning. There was no reason for Joey Votto, who's already not the, the fastest player on your team, trying to score from second on a line drive base hit to left center field. I just thought that was an atrocious attempt, especially with one out in the inning. I agree, but, but at the same time, you, you you understand a little bit the the pressure the Reds are under because they're not scoring runs. Uh, on both of those games, Friday and Saturday games, they had a chance to win. They should have won both of those games. They had second and third nobody out. Bases loaded nobody out. Bases loaded one out in both games and could not score. So, you know, you you get mad because the guy's thrown out at the plate, but they have to be aggressive because nobody's hitting. And it's, Dave, it's not just because they're not hitting, getting base hits. They're not making contact. They're striking out or they're popping out to the infield. So you have to have somebody come in. And I, I neglected to add Todd Frazier has struck out nine times already this year. Uh, you just have so many guys striking out so often. You cannot sustain offense when you have that many holes and so many bats. Okay, there's two other things I want to bring up here about the Reds before we move on to the Indians and what is going on with them last week and this upcoming week. Mark, I think the news that is probably scaring a lot of Reds fans is coming from the pitching staff, and that's Matt Latos and the strained forearm. How concerned should Red fans be about this injury to Latos? It all depends on whether or not you believe what you read. This morning in the Dayton paper, anyway, they said that it is 
There was no structural damage. They did an MRI, and they were concerned about it. They thought maybe something had come loose from the surgery or whatever, but they said, no, it's, it's inflammation. It's got some fluid in there, and he should be fine after 10, to t- 10 days to 14 days. Now, if you don't believe that, you can, you can almost hear the echoes of Johnny Cueto's injury last year that they said, oh, yeah, it's day-to-day. Well, he ended up missing in almost the entire season because it was day-to-day, and he never got over the hump, and he came back and got injured again. So, yeah, I, I think there is reason for concern. Fortunately for the Reds, Alfredo Simon has stepped up and, and thrown the ball every bit as well as Latos would have been expected to throw. So the Reds haven't missed much. Now, I'm, I'm going to be interested tonight to see what Homer Bailey does against the Pirates. Because I, I really think the Reds, if, if they're going to make a move, number one, they're not going to, they're not going to trade Sengrani, who's their fifth starter. And we'll talk about him in a minute. But um, I think the Reds could move Bailey if they believe Latos is healthy. Now, if they don't believe he's healthy, they're not going to get rid of Bailey unless they know that Latos is going to come back. But this team, they will be getting uh, Skip Schumacher back here in the next week or so, and that's going to help. But they need more than that. They they need a bat. And Latos' injury is of concern because he will have missed now the entire first month of the year. But I, from what I read, uh, it, it, it's something that they can deal with. What about Araldus Chapman? What's the status of him right now? I understand he started throwing this weekend. Yes, he did. He threw Sunday. Had no, you know, any, no problem. There's nothing wrong with his arm. Uh, and if anything, this might even be if he comes back strong. Uh, you know, it could bode well for the Reds because he'll be fresh all year. Uh, but he's got to build that arm strength back up. And, and the thing that scares me about him is not an arm injury per se, but it doesn't take much for him to get out of whack on his control. And the only thing that helps him is pitching a lot. Now, here's the other thing I think could happen. If the Reds decide to trade Homer Bailey, and I think that's the only guy on the the staff that they would consider trading, that, in my opinion, means they're going to move Chapman into the starting rotation. So they're not going to lose much from, from an arm perspective. But what do you think the Indians would give up for Homer Bailey? I don't think, well, you've got to remember the salary concerns. They would not be willing to take on Homer Bailey's salary. Not a chance. Okay. How about other teams in the, the American League, or, or, or the National League for that matter? What do you think he could garner in a hitter? What kind of hitter do you think he could get from a team that may be competitive but short one starter? Well, I, uh, there are two teams that really pop out right away when you bring that up, and one's the Dodgers, the other one's the New York Mets. I think the Mets are looking for pitching right now, considering that they've got two pitchers out with the Tommy John surgery, and maybe even if you want to add a third team, the Atlanta Braves, they might be interested in somebody, and all three of those teams could handle that type of salary. Well, don't forget the Braves right now have the best ERA in baseball, and they lost Medlin and who's the other guy they lost, but they lost two starting pitchers. But I think you're right. My my guess was the team that is a great trading partner to the Reds for Homer Bailey is the Dodgers. They've got four starting outfielders, all of whom can hit. 
Um, I, I don't know, you know, who they, they go after necessarily, but uh, they're not happy with Puig, and I think he would be a shot in the arm for the Reds. He's young. He's got power. He would he would be a real stud in that ballpark. Uh, it, it would not surprise me that the Reds go after somebody like that and dangle Homer Bailey, presuming that Latos is healthy, and then you move Chapman into starting rotation because you've got Broxton back, you're going to get Sean Marshall back, that bullpen is strong without Chapman, and you you know it's easy just to move him into the starting rotation and replace Homer Bailey. Well, I would find it hard to believe that the Dodgers would dangle Puig. I think you'd have a better shot at getting Matt Kemp out of there, and there you've got your center fielder to take the place of Billy Hamilton. Yeah, I agree with you, and I'd rather have Matt Kemp. Uh, I'm just not sure the Reds can afford him. Uh, they can afford Puig. And in, as a matter of fact, you you trade his salary for Bailey, and the Dodgers can afford Bailey. And they need they do need a starter. And the, the other team I thought might be interested is Toronto. Uh, they need some pitching. But there's, there's a lot of teams that would benefit from a homer Bailey, assuming he's right. And I hope he has a good game tonight just because he would be more valuable trade bait if he pitches a, you know, a three-hitter against the Pirates tonight. Uh, people will see that he's strong, and those first two starts were aberrations. But uh, this team has to do something. And if they don't, they're going to be 10, 12 games behind by mid-May, and it's going to be over. Mark, let's switch over and talk about the Indians for a little bit. One of the big stories this morning is that people don't think that the Indians play baseball very well in cold weather. Well, this weekend in Chicago, it was in the 70s, except for yesterday, but uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, you had games that were in the 70-degree temperature mark. When we were out at Oakland, it was 65, 70 degrees. Uh, the only time that we really had some problems was when we opened up uh the the first the first weekend of the season against Minnesota and then of course the Padres coming to town but even that doubleheader that they played last Wednesday was played in 60 to 65 degree temperatures i know it's tough to play baseball in cold weather but when you're in cleveland i, I think you've got to admit playing baseball in cold weather weather in the middle of april is a given yeah i don't buy that i don't buy that weather stuff i mean the other team has to play in cold weather too and these are professional major league ball players, and I don't think they're impacted as a group by cold weather. I, I, I don't buy that. Um, I just think that the Indians have some weaknesses in that on that team that, again, unless they're addressed by your your GM, uh, I see the Indians finishing third or fourth right now. I mean, I think they have some talent, uh, but they lost some talent over the over the winter, and I didn't see them replace it. So uh, I think the jury is out. The good thing about the Indians is they're still very close. They're only a couple games out, and uh, that I think that division is going to be competitive. So uh, my concern about the Reds is you're going to have somebody like the the Brewers break out, win 12, 15 games in a row, and it's over before it begins. Well, Justin Masterson has had two bad outings after opening night pitching very well. You know what Justin Masterson is. Two bad outings doesn't concern me. Corey Kluber and Zach McAllister have come back after bad outings and pitched a couple of good games in a row. That I expect. What I am concerned about as far as the Indians pitching is concerned 
are the last two in their five-man rotation, Danny Salazar and Carlos Carrasco. Danny Salazar has to understand, Mark, that you cannot strike everyone out. And his game against San Diego last week, where he struck out ten guys in three innings, but only lasted four, didn't help the starting rotation whatsoever. He didn't get the win, he didn't get the loss, but he did get a record where he struck out ten guys in three innings. Carlos Carrasco, on the other hand, is trying to throw the ball through a brick wall and is not spotting his pitches very well. He's not changing speeds very well at all either. And I think these two guys, I can give Salazar an out, but Carrasco has been in the major leagues now for the last four years. Something has got to click in this kid's head for him to understand how to pitch at the major league level. And if he doesn't, Mark, i got to say, Trevor Bauer came up, and in game one of that San Diego doubleheader on Wednesday, which I want to get into in just a little bit with Major League Baseball and their replay rules. That's coming up in our Ask Us segment. But had it not been for a botched replay, which I think was a botched replay, Trevor Bauer would have pitched a one nothing shutout instead got beat 2-1. to one. It's the best game I've seen Trevor Bauer pitch for the Indians since he has become an Indian. You know, I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, Trevor Bauer, to me, I saw him pitch that game, and it appeared that his delivery was different. He seemed to be more under control. I remember him coming up the first couple of years with San Diego and last year with the Indians, and he would fall off to the left side of the mound a lot. Like he was completely off balance. To me, it looked like somebody got into his brain a little bit. You know it better than I do. But his delivery looked different, and he yes. looked more effortless. And, but he the ball was coming out of his hand great, and he was overpowering a lot of those hitters. He pitched well down in Columbus a week ago. Then they brought him up on Wednesday because it was his day to throw. So they brought him up to pitch the first game of that doubleheader, and he pitched, I thought, Mark, outstanding ball. He was well, He was always ahead of the hitters, always ahead in the count, pitched seven and a third innings, and did an outstanding job of keeping the San Diego hitters off balance. And you know as well as I do, that San Diego lineup is not an easy one to go up against. They're a bunch of spray hitters with some power in the middle, and they're not an easy lineup to, to go up against. They don't strike out. They put the ball in play. Bauer did a good job against these guys, and then he pitched well yesterday down in Columbus. He's pitched three outstanding games in his three starts this year, and Carrasco's got to get in his head, Mark, that just because he's out of options doesn't mean he's assured a job. He could be placed into the bullpen at any time during this year or even released. And if nobody wants to pick him up, and the way he's pitching right now, Mark, I don't think if I was a major league ball club, I would pick him up. He's not throwing the ball well. Yeah, that's true. And and I think you, you bring up a good point. Uh, and, and going back to Trevor Bauer for a second, I just wonder... If the fear of God that must have, you know, when he was sent back again this year, when he was supposed to be in the starting rotation last year, uh, at some point the light has to go on. And when I see Carrasco pitch, I see a great arm, but I don't know about his head. And we've always talked about Trevor Bauer having a million-dollar arm and a you know 20-cent head. Uh, I don't know if you can say the same thing about Carrasco. I don't know. But at some point, you, you would think the light would go on with these guys, 
and they start listening to their pitching coaches and listening to experienced catchers and doing what needs to be done to change their delivery. Well, that's one thing that Terry Francona has always been good at, whether it been in Boston or here in Cleveland. He's always had pitching coaches, Mark, that were able to get through to their pitchers. John Farrell in Boston, Mickey Calloway here in Cleveland. Calloway was able to get through to Scott Casimir and teach him basically how to rethrow again. And he was able to get through to Ubaldo Jimenez. Now, I'm not sure. i, I got to say this. I'm not sure if it was Callaway that got through to Ubaldo or his agent that let him know that he had three months to get on the stick. Because, boy, if you look at the first three outings he's had with Baltimore, Mark, uh, I don't think Buck Showalter by the end of the year will be doing many head-and-shoulders commercials. Uh, he'll be out of hair rather than trying to advertise for it. Uh, yeah, with Ubaldo Jimenez. Up yesterday again. Yeah, he did. Uh, he, he's got his contract. He's fat. He's happy. And there's nothing anybody can do with this kid when he's fat and happy. And that's the way he is. Now, as far as Trevor Bauer, I think you're right. I think Mickey Calloway got into his head. I think somebody got to this kid during the offseason and said, Look, you are this close to being a journeyman pitcher in Major League Baseball or an ace on a staff. And it's up to you which direction of that Mendoza line you want to go to. And I think it got through to him. Do you think he has the – his control could be good enough someday that he could be a closer? Uh, No, I think he's a – well, I think his control is good enough to be a closer. I think he – you know, as far as that's concerned, Jose Mesa had the same problem, and when he became a closer, he suddenly had great control. Uh, I think with Trevor Bauer, I think they're going to stick with him as far as being a starting pitcher, whom I think has got a good opportunity to be a closer, is Carrasco. When they put him in the bullpen a year ago, he pitched well. Now he's back to starting. I think he's pretty close, at least maybe two starts, maybe the most three, Mark, to where he'll be put back in the bullpen. Now, will he be a closer? I doubt it. You know, Axford's pitched pretty well with the exception of yesterday. Uh, why he threw the pitch that he did in the bottom of the ninth inning to a hitter that he did for the White Sox and ended up giving up the two-run homer, I'll never know. But that that's just a case of pitch selection. But Axford has done a good job for the Indians so far with the exception of that one game. And and I got to admit, I, I think Bauer is there for to be a starter, but Carrasco, I think it wouldn't take much to put him in the bullpen. You know, for, just for fun, Dave, I think throughout this year, we ought to, at least for three or four minutes a week, let's put on our respective general manager hats and just look at the other team's roster. What do you think on the Reds' roster, their 25-man roster, or even 40-man roster for that matter, would what players do you think would make the Indians competitive in the AL Central off the Reds roster? If you if you had an unlimited checkbook and looked at the roster and said, boy, if I had Joey Votto or I had whomever it would be, and that would make me that put me over the top to win the the division. Boy, that's a good question. I I think I would want. Um, probably Brandon Phillips or Jay Bruce. 
I I think I would. Um, as far as far as a hitter is concerned, if I wanted a pitcher, I I would definitely want Matt Latos. That is the guy that I would want off the red staff. I think you put him, plug him into the Indian staff, and you've got an instant one or one A right there on your staff with Latos. What about what about Quazo? Uh, he bothers me as far as his injuries are concerned, which sounds crazy when I'm talking about Latos, who's out with an injury right now. But I think Cueto, if if he could prove to me that he could pitch an entire season, yeah, I I would like to have Cueto. But I think I would still stick with Latos, Mark, from the standpoint that he's younger. What is he, four years younger? Yes. Yeah, four years younger. I think I would stick with Latos uh, as far as wanting a pitcher. Um, I wouldn't want Broxton. There's no way I would want Sean Marshall. Alfredo Simon, although the way he pitched Saturday, Mark, I got to tell you, that guy looked dominant. That's the best I think I've ever seen that kid pitch. Well, he pitched well the first game against the Mets as well in New York. He pitched seven innings, gave up one run. So, so to make the Indians better, you would want Latos or Bruce. Or who was the other player you wanted? Phillips. Phillips, and I would probably move Phillips to third. Okay. Now, what are you willing to give up to get those players? Oh, David Murphy. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm like Kevin Costner in draft day, Mark. I'm going to make the impossible trade, and everybody's going to fall over and say, okay. Would you give up one of your shortstops? Uh, I would give up Cabrera. How old is he? Cabrera? Yeah. Uh, twenty nine, I believe. Let me let me look that up. Well, I'm not going to give you any one of the guys you want straight up for Cabrera. So, what do you got to offer me, pal? Um, as Drupal Cabrera is twenty eight. Um, and he's got a salary right now of six and a half million dollars. What did he hit last year? Uh, that's the problem. He he has not hit very well since Terry Francona has become manager. He couldn't stand Manny Acta, but he hit better under Manny Acta. Um, as far as last year, let me find this for you, Mark. His season last year, 2013, he batted 242. 114 strikeouts, which was the second most he's ever had in his career. 14 homers, 64 RBIs in 136 games. This year he's batting 188, although in Chicago he did show signs of starting to perk up. Yes, I would trade you as Drupal Cabrera, and I would probably trade you for Matt Latos. I would probably trade you uh, Danny Salazar. Not enough. That's your number one starter. Well, I'm sending over there. You're right. <laughs> your your analysis of what he could be is a one or one A. You've got Latos and Masterson or Masterson and Latos. Uh, that's a pretty good start. You're gonna you would likely win the pennant with me sending you Latos, assuming he's healthy. But the Reds need some power, and uh, Cabrera is not that. Uh, you're looking he, at the wrong team if you want power. Well, that's my point. I mean, is is there mm-hmm. anybody in the minors that you guys have that I no. can lean on as a power hitter? There are no power hitters. The, the only thing I could tell you, Mark, is that 
Lonnie Chisholm might be a step up from Todd Frazier as far as not only a fielder, but as far as a hitter, and he hits from the left-hand side. That's the problem that you've got, because predominantly the the Reds are a left-handed hitting club. Yeah. Well, so, it's, I mean, it's I, I, when you when you look at the these the forty man rosters side by side, the question I'm asking basically is there a combination of athletes on these two teams of players to make up a forty man roster that would make them competitive with the Tigers and the Reds competitive with whomever is going to win the Central? And I'm not well, sure. Well, now don't is. take that don't take that wrong, Mark. Now I'm not saying that I, I think the overall the Indians have a better hitting ball club than the Reds do. When you when you've got when eight of your nine guys from last year hit ten or more home runs, that's a pretty good year hitting the baseball. And eight of your nine guys have over sixty RBIs each. There's not one guy on this ball club that hits the ball. But they all hit the ball collectively. So I think overall the Indians are a better hitting ball club than the Reds are. I now agree. as far as pitching is concerned I think the Reds have a better starting staff. I think the Reds have a better closer when Chapman is a closer. I would beg, I think the difference is who's got the better middle relievers. I I think it's the Indians. Uh, I think it's too early to, to come up with a sample size other than the starters and relievers. I mean, Chapman, clearly the... Red starters are clearly better than Cleveland's, and their their closer is better. But their their middle relief last year with Alfredo Simon and J.J. Uh, Hoover and some other guys was very very solid. I mean, they, the Reds have a good pitching staff, really good. Uh, the question is, how much could they trade away from that pitching staff to a team like the Indians that needs pitching? I just don't think the Indians can can offer anything in return. That Let me throw this out at you. Get Latos. Let me. Do you think Billy Hamilton could use another year in the minors? I, if he does, then he's not going to make it. If he needs yet another year in the minors, I'm sure you haven't watched every game like I have, David. Some of his swings looks like he plays for the Riverdale Little League team. He misses balls by three feet, and I am not exaggerating. It's as if he swings with his eyes closed. He's so far okay. away. I, I don't think another year is going to help. Here's my final offer. I will give you... Who did I give you before? I gave, I gave you... Uh, Cabrera. Cabr okay, I'll give you Asdrubal Cabrera. I'll give you Danny Salazar and Michael Bourne. For Matt Latos. Yeah, I might do that deal. Because I think Niger Morgan has played well enough to where the Indians could consider trading Michael Bourne for a starting pitcher and be able to get away with it. Not that I want to give up Michael Bourne, don't get me wrong. I just think Niger Morgan has done an outstanding job. He's been everything that they want and more. Well, I would come back with you and say, I won't give you Latos, but I'll give you Bailey. Salary's too big. Well, Latos is going to be just as much, if not more, next year. Well, isn't he arbitration? 
Yeah, and they're going to have to. I mean, his his arbitration number is going to be what fifteen, sixteen million dollars, and that's without a long term contract. He's got far better right. numbers than Bailey. Now, Greg would tell you that maybe the Indians would be interested in trading Justin Masterson. That's why they haven't signed him yet. But that that's another story that we can get on to <laughs> down the road. Mark, it's time for our Ask Us segment, and we do have a couple of questions here coming in tonight. Of course, you can send us your questions each and every week to askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or at altsportstalk, U-L-T Sports Talk. Mark, Tammy writes in here tonight about Chief Wahoo. And I told you a week ago that we were going to talk about this. This is something the abolishment of Chief Wahoo, Mark, is gaining a lot of momentum in the Cleveland area. The Plain Dealer, the newspaper, has called for the elimination of Chief Wahoo. Uh, one of the, I, I call him just a regular troublemaker on the Cleveland ESPN radio station here, also is calling for the abolishment. There's a city councilman that's calling for the abolishment. Every opening day, there are 8 to 10 Native Americans that are protesting outside Progressive Field, wanting the abolishment of Chief Wahoo. And now the Indians have moved from Chief Wahoo as their Major League Baseball logo to the most boring logo in baseball today, the Block C. Mark, before I get into this, you already know where I'm coming down on this. Is Chief Wahoo, the logo, is it racist? Well, if it is, it became racist last year or this year or whatever. It's, the Indians have had that logo for a long time. And I, I'm not trying to be naive, nor am I, nor am I racist or anything else. I, I would love to have input not from a half a dozen African-American people, but from a, a large number of people, what is offensive? What are they perceiving to be offensive? Which part of it? it, it does it mean that Indians didn't exist? There's, there's nothing wrong with being a Native American. Nothing wrong with being called an Indian. Uh, that's what they were. I mean, that's <laughs> it's like being called Irish. It's I, I don't understand. And again, maybe I'm overlooking something. I just don't understand what they find offensive about it. And if I understood I don't what either. They, they, they saw, then maybe I would agree, but I, I don't see it yet. I, you know, the question that I would like to ask Native Americans is, what, you've never seen an Indian smile? I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't get what is so racist about this caricature of an Indian. And I want to bring up the story, Mark, because I think this hits the nail right on the head. This past week was the Frozen Four. North Dakota was in the final four of the NCAA Collegiate Ice Hockey. Do you know what North Dakota's nickname is? No. The Fighting Sioux. That's their nickname. And years ago, they, said, they told this story on ESPN during the game. They, during this whole uproar, where some Native Americans were having problems with all the caricatures, with the Redskins, the Braves, the Seminoles, everybody, they started getting on North Dakota. Well, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, Montana, of course you know there's a lot of Indian reservations out there. North Dakota went to 
some of the Indian reservations in their state and said, is this derogatory to you? Is this racist? They said 95% of the people that they surveyed said no. They were proud of that nickname, the Fighting Sioux. And Mark, I submit that if you go to most Native Americans, it's just a sample size. There's 8 to 10 every year at opening day for the Cleveland Indians that protest this. You get probably as many people outside of a Kroger protesting whatever that week, the, the, the cost of milk or the cost of lettuce during a week. I, I submit to you, Mark, that this is just 8 to 10 people that would probably protest anything just to get their names in the paper. And to absolutely change a mascot like the Washington Redskins, the Atlanta Braves, or the Cleveland Indians over that kind of a sample size just as upsetting. I, I, I agree with you, David. I, again, I, you don't want to be insensitive if something is offending people, and just because I'm myopic or I don't see it, uh, I want to learn what it is. But I've not heard anything. I, I don't understand what the problem is. And as I mentioned to you last year, I think, when the Miami Redskins, you know, changed their name, uh, we no longer called the Redskins, uh, my suggestion was you change the logo from an Indian to a potato. And then you have the Redskins, <laughs> you mm-hmm. the Redskins and have a potato in the middle of the floor. Well, I heard a good one also. Uh, I got a comment on my Facebook page about the Pittsburgh Steelers. What if a band of people that were laid off from a steel mill factory decided to petition and protest outside of Heinz Stadium during a football game sometime the name Steelers? Would they start taking that under consideration and decide that because this was offensive to people that had been laid off from a steel factory that they should change the name of the Pittsburgh Steelers which has been there for 75, 80 years? You know, the, the Reds had the same thing happen to them back in the 50s when they went back they were called the Cincinnati Redlegs years and years and years ago they shortened it to the Cincinnati Reds and believe it or not, during the McCarthy era and after that, people said, well the Reds are communists and so we're going to change it back to the Cincinnati Red Lake. And you know, it's just so absurd. How far do you take it? How many Reds players were involved in the McCarthy hearings back in the 50s? Well, it wasn't the Reds players, but it was certainly <laughs> the fans outside of Cincinnati. And uh, for, when I was growing up in the 50s, it was the Cincinnati Red Legs. That was the name of the team. Mm-hmm. And then it's been shortened to the Reds again, and nobody has said anything. But it clearly was an issue in the in the late fifties and even early sixties. All these that's that's the name of communists. So the Reds shouldn't be called the Reds. It just again, I don't want to be insensitive. Well, I just don't understand what the issue is. And Mark, I'm going to take that completely the opposite way. I agree with you. But what's to say that you couldn't get eight to ten? Russian protesters outside of Great American Ballpark some year protesting the name Reds because they think it's derogatory towards communism. Well, who knows? I mean, you're right. And it could be even people who don't, who see the name Reds in a connotation as something we don't understand. But you could, you're always going to have a bunch of wackos who had the potential of raising with social media now causing a problem or a stir 
uh, over really a non-issue. And that's that's what I think with Cleveland particularly, I see it as a non-issue. Well, you know, Washington Redskins, okay, I, I see that a little more. I can see where that could be derogatory. I mean, it's like the Atlanta Braves being called the Atlanta black guys. You know, I, I can understand mm-hmm. where African Americans would be upset about that. Uh, but not not Cleveland. I, I, I just don't get it. No, I I think Chief Wahoo should continue to stay. And but I just think that this this whole drive is is gaining momentum, Mark. And you could see within the next. I think I told you when we first started this show that the Dolans were starting to phase Chief Wahoo out. And I think this Block C is just another movement towards that. I think in the next five to ten years you'll see Chief Wahoo just gone totally from the Indians logos or uniforms. Hey, Michael sends us in another Ask Us question, Mark, and I think this is a very good one. He states, everyone says it takes two to three years to examine the value of a deal. Mark, could you examine the value that the Reds got for Matt Latos in sending Yonder Alonso and Grandal to the Padres? Would that deal still be good today? Absolutely. That, that was a great deal for the Reds. Uh, Matt Latos uh, has been everything as advertised. He's been consistent. He's won a lot of games. He's had a great winning percentage. Uh, he's had great quality starts. And if you look at the statistics for Grandal, uh, I don't know if he's still under suspension or not, but uh, no. he and, and Alonzo, they've been serviceable players, but they couldn't have broken the Reds' starting lineup, I don't believe. Uh, where are you going to put Alonzo? You can't put him at first base. He can't play left field. So, yeah, I think it was a great trade, and I would do that trade again. Yeah, I've got to ask this question, Mark. Was that the last big trade Walt Jockety did? Yes, and I think if you look at the Reds' lineup and their and their rotation, it was the only trade he's made of any note. Uh, he's picked up, you know, some some back end play players, but I think the worst trade he made was for Jonathan Broxton, and and close behind that was Sean Marshall. He's paying that middle bullpen ton of money. Uh, Broxton's getting seven million a year for three years, and he has not uh, he has not been close to anything that uh, he should have been. And Sean Marshall has been hurt almost from the day we got him. He's effective when he pitches, but he never pitches. So. I think he's not had a great success on trades, and all he's really done is spend uh, the, the owner's money and uh, Castellini's money. And I, I just question how you can sign Homer Bailey to a $100 million contract. I don't get it. Who made the deal for Brandon Phillips? Uh, that was the two general managers before, and I forgot who it was. Um but if you remember, they, they got Brandon Phillips, I think, on opening day or the day before from the Indians. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he was a throw-in. And I remember early that year, was that 2007 or eight? I believe so, 2006 or seven. Yeah. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, I saw this guy playing second base like I hadn't seen anybody play before. I said, well, he's a pretty good defensive player. And then he started hitting ropes. And hitting home runs. And I said, where in the heck did this guy come from? And then I went back and checked the history of Brandon Phillips. And that was clearly a manager getting PO'd at a player because he didn't like his quote-unquote attitude. 
and basically giving him away, an all-star. And imagine what Phillips would have meant to the to the lineup of the Indians over the last seven or eight years. Oh, it, it would have made things totally different. Mark, as we finish up our Ask Us segment, Pete Rose's birthday is today. He's 73. Do you want to join me in singing happy birthday? No, I do not. But I do wish Pete Rose a happy birthday. He's uh He's a guy who is he, he's paid his dues, and I feel badly for what's happened to him. I met Pete, and maybe I'm, I'm prejudiced about him, but uh, I think Major League Baseball has killed this guy enough, and it's too, it's really too bad that he's never going to get into the Hall of Fame in his lifetime, if ever. And uh, I think baseball is bigger than that, and they should have said, well, you paid your you paid your dues, and now we're going to recognize you for what you are. And that's the hit king. I am prejudiced. I have absolutely no problems admitting that. And I think Pete Rose deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And like I've said to you and several other people throughout the shows that I've done on UltimateSportsTalk.com, the Hall of Fame is not the Hall of Fame without Pete Rose in it. Amen, brother. That That's the way I feel. Mark, what is going on? Well, one other thing before we get to the schedules. Tomorrow is Jackie Robinson Day. It's the day that Major League Baseball celebrates the first black player in Major League Baseball history. I love Jackie Robinson Day, Mark. I I really do. I think it's a great day in the history of baseball when everybody wears number 42. Yeah, what's amazing about that date and and what Jackie did uh, is open the doors for African-American players to play the game of Major League Baseball. Unfortunately, they're not playing it. There's less than less than 10%. I think it's like 7 or 8% of all the players in Major League Baseball are African-American. They they don't play the game. And that that's sad. And I think Jackie would be very disturbed that he looks at these rosters and you have a lot of uh, you know white guys and you have a lot of Latin guys, but you don't have a lot of black guys. And that that's unfortunate. Well, and another thing too, Mark, one player that seems to miss out on everything, Larry Doby. He was the first black player in the American League, and he was just a week behind Jackie Robinson. Yeah, that is that is sad. And Larry Doby was a heck of a player, by the way, and he played a long time. And it was just announced today, at least I saw today, that Chuck Harmon, who was the first African-American player for the Reds, he's I think he's 92 years old now. Uh, he is going to be honored this year by the Cincinnati Reds, and it's long overdue. He was never the star. He was never the athlete. Or he was a great athlete. He was a good football player, too. But he, was, he didn't reach star status with the Reds like Jackie Robinson did. And, and even Larry Doby was, I think he was an all-star at least two or three years. He was a good player. But uh, yeah, these guys absolutely. have finally gotten their due, and uh, it, it is long overdue. Mark, very important week for both the Reds and the Indians as far as I'm concerned. What do the Reds have on the schedule this week? They've got Pittsburgh coming out tonight, tomorrow, and Wednesday, and then I believe they go to Chicago or Atlanta. I've forgotten now who, who they play next. But this month, as you mentioned early in the year, the Reds have a horrific schedule, and they, they have to, to at least stay close. And I'll tell you, if Pittsburgh wins three games against the Reds this week and Milwaukee wins three games against the Cardinals, the Reds are in deep, deep trouble. And this season could be over before it began. 
Yeah, very much so. I mean, you got Pittsburgh, like you said, then they go to Chicago to play the Cubs three games, and then they go to Pittsburgh again to play the Pirates. The Indians, on the other hand, they've got a three-game set with Detroit starting tomorrow night, Wednesday night, and then Thursday afternoon. Then they play Toronto Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then next week it's Kansas City. So it's a very important week for not only the Reds, but the Indians. And we'll be back next week to talk more about it, Mark. Go Indians and go Reds. Amen to that. Thanks a lot, Mark. Take care, David. We'll talk to you again next week. Don't forget to join us next Monday night with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. That'll be at 9 o'clock here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. You can also join me with the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. That will be Thursday night at 7 o'clock here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer. Also for Mark, I want to thank all of our fans for listening tonight and being a part of our Ask Us segment. And we'll join you again next week. Until then, have a good week, everybody. Good night.